Praise God. And um, I've got here with me Brother Simeon Costa. Most of you have had a chance to meet um, Brother Simeon, and he's going to be with us for a season, uh, helping inject a, uh, into the DNA of our church uh, our mission, which is evangelism and discipleship. And um, just what we're going to do right now is I'm going to ask him a few questions and uh, have him kind of respond uh, as we uh, uh, ask the questions. And then as he feels led, he's going to just teach a little bit and then he's going to take some questions from the audience. And, uh, but before we do this, I want to just give you a little bit of an introduction. Um, Simeon and I have been friends for a long time. And actually, he knew my wife before he even knew me. And uh, so from the time they were late and still in their teenage years, uh, we've known uh, Brother Simeon Costa. And in his life, he has done the work of an evangelist, um, traveling preacher, and uh, um, seen uh, many, many miracles happen. Uh, powerful displays and demonstrations of God as God would use him in pulpit ministry. Um, but God had a different passion for him, and he still does pulpit ministry, still operates in the gifts of the Spirit, still sees miracles and healings happen. Uh, but God has gotten a hold of him with a passion to do what all of us are supposed to be doing, and uh, that is fulfilling uh, the Great Commission. Now, when we, we talk about soul winning, when we talk about evangelism, we talk about the Great Commission, we talk about um, uh, discipleship, sometimes we may, our eyes glaze over, or maybe we just feel like, okay, we're just going to have to get through this and endure this. But I want to tell you, and I'm going to, Simeon told me not to tell, ask, share with them the questions I was going to ask, just come at them with them. So I'm going to come at you with some crazy questions right now to just start out, Okay. Um, because I'm going to tell you right now what I feel in the Holy Ghost. What I feel in the Holy Ghost is that the devil is very nervous about this session and the devil is uneasy about what's going to be shared tonight. Not just tonight, but in the coming weeks. He's a little uneasy about the direction that, that uh, we're going and uh, in our focus on evangelism. So, Simeon, my first question to you is, and this is going to just throw you off probably, why do you think the devil is nervous about this session tonight, if you agree that he is. If you don't think he is, then say, I don't think he is. But I absolutely agree with it. Um, and I think the reason is is because he's not intimidated by <clears throat> what we do in here necessarily. Let me, let me rephrase that. Of course, he's always intimidated when the church binds together in unity and begins to praise and worship. Uh, obviously, there's been some incredible services. And, and anything like that uh, is makes the dark side, if you want to put it that way, very, very nervous. However, there's a limit to that because he wants to, he doesn't mind as long as that just kind of stays right here. Uh, The concept of what God wants to do is far beyond that. And the reason Jesus was so dangerous is because he didn't just teach powerfully in the synagogue. He didn't just do miracles around the synagogue. He was doing incredible things where the, the sea, out where the sea, teaching from ships, uh, out there in the, the fields, uh, in Jerusalem, wherever he was, it was dangerous because 
there was no limiting the power of the spirit and truth and and so what I think he's intimidated with is that we'll actually not let our eyes glaze over, that we'll actually realize that what we can, some of the things we can adopt, learn, take on, that we'd hear that we'd actually do out there, he does not want us to really get active Monday through Saturday, okay? And I think what, what happens traditionally in, in churches is, is they gear up for special services and they have incredible moves of the spirit and then all of a sudden we kind of come to that Wednesday night when it's all been over with and and now it's kind of like let's get back to the normal grind and in reality all of that that we heard and felt and experienced was meant to ignite us to increase our faith to then take everything Jesus has for us and share that with the world outside and so what the reason he's you know attempting to whether it's distraction whether it's all kinds of physical things whatever is he does not want you to get busy doing the work of God outside of the church walls uh, eight uh, seven days a week and 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 so uh, kind of that comfort lackadaisical kind of spirit wants sometimes wants to take over us and so that's what I think he's intimidated with because if we ever get serious about this if we ever realize that Jesus was walking and as he was walking he was healing people and when they went to go eat there was people being you know come over here come over there it's in houses I mean most of the incredible miracles didn't well all of the most incredible miracles did not take place in the synagogue if you look at Jesus ministry it was happening while he was journeying to places so it was lifestyle stuff you know and and so how do you stop a people like yourselves who are not intimidated by a time of the day a day of the week and so you're out in the grocery store and someone you see is hurting and all of a sudden you just, it's time. This is what, I've, this is what we've been praying about, talking about. Okay, ma'am, can I just pray with you about something? Are you okay? And they feel the presence of Jesus move in their life and their spirit. I mean, you look at Jesus' ministry, right? At, at the woman at the well. I mean, was that service time? Was that a Sunday service? Was that midweek service? It was... You know, they're waiting for this woman to draw water. And next thing you know, it turned into a revival. You think about it, just one woman who had a problem and an issue with, uh, he said, well, go get your husband, is what he said to her. She goes, well, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right, yeah. You've had five husbands and the one you're with is not your own. Just one word of knowledge ignited her to realize, okay, this isn't just a mere man here. So when you activate the gifts of the Spirit in everyday life, she runs back to the city they all come out to see Jesus. He's there for a few days, and the Bible says the whole city believed in Jesus. That wasn't on a normal service night. That was just going to the well at a certain time. And so that's what he's intimidated with, that will really grasp it, get a hold of it, and start to live it. And, and then, you know, all the rules are broken. It's, you, you don't know what, you know, God can do and, you know, how, how we would operate. Amen. That's exciting. Whew, I think he's nervous. I think the devil's nervous. <laughs> Um, you know, what I want to just say is, uh, Brother Simon, you've um, literally taught uh, personal studies and disi- personally discipled hundreds of people and seen hundreds of people that you've baptized uh, just through personal evangelism, personal soul winning, all the th- from, even from when you were a young person. And so when I watch you, I see that you have a sensitivity, you kind of know when to move, when not to move, when to say, and when not to say. 
Um, and we'll talk about some of that in a little bit. But first of all, I want to just ask you, you, you weren't always that good at it, no. probably. And uh, um, so uh, w- what I was wondering is, uh, uh, you know, those of us here, we're, we don't have that experience. And we get there, we'll freeze up, we'll get you know, nervous or... Maybe we've tried a couple times and been unsuccessful. So my question is, how did you get started? Like, what was it? What got you started with a burden for souls, and then actually doing something about that burden? Okay, so this is—I want to speak to the parents here right now. My—it started with my mom and dad. Um, my mom and dad had incredible conversions, especially my dad. If I were to tell you his testimony, you would not believe me. Uh, but. But my dad was in a Catholic church, and uh, he was dating my mom at the time. They were just friends, really. And uh, those of you that, anybody come from a Catholic background? All my family and relatives are Catholic. Uh, I went to Catholic school and all that. So uh, there was a little, a little uh, a fence there that you're not supposed to go past. Only the priest did. And so nobody was at the church that day. Uh, and my mom was, it was a very large church and uh, and so uh, she was in the very back looking at all the statues and things and my mom was not Catholic she was a assembly of God and my dad went to the front went past the little gate and he was staring up at the huge cross with Jesus on it he's just looking up and all of a sudden he hears a voice he says, Gary you think you're going to heaven, the life that you're leading? He stopped. He heard it audibly. He looked to the left. He looked to the right. He looked in the balcony. And he got scared. And he said, who's talking? And um, now he knows. But at the time he did, he just felt a presence come on top of him. And he went to one knee. He went to two knees. Then he went to both hands. Then he went laid on his chest. And he said, no, Lord, I'm not. He said, I've chosen you a virtuous woman. She's at your side. She'll give you the love you need while you're here. We've been married for 40-something years. And I was, it, it gets crazier, but I'll just leave it at that. And then I came on the scene. Uh, I was born and into uh, a Pentecostal church because God led them there. And um, I remember times waking up, hearing crying late at night in, in my house. And walking to the living room and seeing some strange lady that I didn't know, laying on her back, speaking in other tongues, speaking in a heavenly language, and my mom and dad are crying and praying with her, and I'm, it's like midnight, you know, and I'm like, you know, five or six, and it just went all the way through my whole life, you know, and I, my parents would always bring people over the house and feed them, and then next thing you know, people start crying and praying in my house, and God starts touching people, and, and next thing you know, they're wanting to get baptized, and they're being filled with the Spirit, and all this kind of amazing stuff is happening. So I, if I'm really being honest, and then also my dad started a Sunday school ministry with a, another um, guy there in San Francisco, and um, he went into the hood, and, you know, he was threatened. He told him, he said, uh, no white man comes in here. Don't come back. And he came back, and he's kissing babies and loving on people and sitting down eating lunch with them, and next thing you know, 15 four- and five-year-olds turned to 150 four- and five-year-olds with 12 teachers under, under him. And uh, when he left 14 years later, it was 12 teachers, 150 four- and five-year-olds, people being, these kids being filled with the Spirit. I was one of them. And um, so I was around that, that culture. But then, there, you know, you hit your teenage years and something happens to you. Like, you know, something bites you and you just 
you know, you got to kind of go crazy. And then when I hit like 15, I went to Stockton and God started dealing with my life. And um, I remember the night that I told you guys about that last time when Brother Kilgore was preaching and I really had a passion to go tell people and I was really crazy. I tried all the different ways. So let me just say this. If you really want to start to uh, learn how to share the gospel with people, you just actually got to start doing it. There's no other way. It, there's no like, you know, if you do these three things, it's very easy. And you, No, you just have to reach out and share and talk with people. And so I, I like I said before, I, I would challenge people to play basketball. And if I beat you, you got to come to church with me. I would get in theological arguments with people. It was not very wise. Uh, I said a lot of mean things because uh, I would get mad because people knew the Bible more than me. As I've stated before, I would just tell them, well, listen, you know, we'll see, we'll see, you know, we'll see who makes it, you know, kind of concept. And, and that really wasn't the right way to do it, but I didn't know. And so sometimes you have to learn through that. And I, you know, I'll tell you what, I really felt guilty about that later on in life. And I realized, oh man, that was terrible that I said that. And, and God was patient with me, but I, I knocked doors. Um, sometimes I would get in my car and just pray and drive in the neighborhood and say, God, you know, who do you want me to go talk to? And all of a sudden, I'll feel like, well, go to that door. So I, I'd go to that door. And next thing you know, uh, I, I said, you know, I was driving by, and I felt like the Lord wanted me to come talk to you. Is everything okay? And, and I remember this woman just breaking down crying. She said she was in her house thinking about killing herself. And it was, she had been, she, she, you know, said, hey, you know, if there's anybody out there kind of concept, would you help me? And I knock on the door. And, and so there was a lot of, like, stumblings. There was a lot of mistakes I made. But I just kept pushing through, and I kept trying. Uh, and then God started to help me with that. And, and, and you, you know, wisdom many times comes through experience. And, and also, uh, you know, because, you know, to be honest with you, the fact is, is there just, even though we were in a great church, there wasn't just a lot of people that really were exemplifying what it meant to be in the raw element of what it meant to go like up to somebody you don't even know and just so I had to figure that out and then at 17 I said you know what I want to start a Bible study in my house so I remember um, you know the youth it was supposed to be a youth Bible study from the church and um, I didn't know anything I was I was kind of just turning my life back around to God and so we had brownies out we had chips we had food everything we had drinks had like 24 chairs put out and nobody showed up none of the church kids showed up because it's supposed to be like a youth like small group kind of thing and um so i i preached that night to 24 chairs i prayed through everybody everybody got the holy ghost that night it was powerful it was the most successful service i've ever had and um and so the next night, the guy who was supposed to be with me because we were supposed to team up, that guy didn't even show up. He showed up the next night. He was the only one that showed up the next night or the next week. So finally, I'm like, forget these. See, kind of the contention that I have with church folks started at 17. And I finally said, you know what, forget these church folks. Forget these people. I wrote a letter to my neighborhood. This is back when everybody had mailboxes. I said, hi, my name is Simeon. I'm 16 years old. Uh, I just want you to know that Jesus loves you. I have a Bible study at my house. Every Monday night at 7 o'clock, we got food, and we're going to talk about God, and da-da-da-da-da, and I want you to come, and Acts 2.38, you need to be baptized, and all this kind of, like a big old theological thing, and then I folded it up, made 150 copies, got on, and went into, I went to every mailbox, 150, put it all out, and about four months, I had 28 people in my house, 
We baptized people. People got delivered from drug addiction. Uh, I mean, we're talking like 2, 3 in the morning, walking people from my house around the corner to CLC and baptizing them. I mean, we'd have served. Finally, my dad and mom were like, listen, we got to get to bed. We got to get up to work the next day. You're having prayer meetings here till midnight, 1 in the morning. And people were running around my house, you know, screaming and praying and shouting and everything. It was like a church service or something. That's where it kind of started, you know. So it was an evolution. And it's, if you want, you got to, there's that breaking point. There's always a breaking point, right? You know, when you work out and stuff, you, you're, you're, you can't do the weight. But if you keep going, next thing you know, you finally, there's a, there's a milestone you break through. Wow, I did 150 pounds. And then it just keeps going. Same way in the spirit. You got to break through that. So that's kind of my beginning there. Amen. So that, I mean, you kind of touched on some things there that uh, I want to ask is, um, you know, unfortunately, when you see the church, it's, a lot of times it's great people who love God, love their pastor, um, but they're not really uh, actively involved in the Great Commission members, even ministers, even pastors. Um, what do you think it is that keeps people from engaging in the Great Commission? What are, what are some of the things that keep us from doing it? And, uh, um, you know, whether it's philosophically or, or whatever it is, and how, how can we overcome whatever's got us comfortable, whatever's got us yeah. to where we're not doing it? One, one, of it, one thing that it is, I think, is the American church culture, just to be honest with you. The, this, this church culture we have. Um. That's a part of it. Two, man, that's a great question because I have a lot of things to say about that. Two, leadership, maybe all of us wherever it came from, but we didn't have a good example of that growing up. We didn't see it practiced or done, right? Um, an, another, another element that I think comes into play, it's, it's a revelation. I said it last time when I talked just a little bit at the, team meeting. It's a revelation. So how many of you guys remember the day you saw that Jesus, you had a revelation, boom, Jesus is God. Anybody remember that day? You're like, oh my goodness, right? That's, see, that's the most powerful revelation. That's the number one greatest revelation a person could ever have is that there is a God and Jesus is that God. That's, that's it. That's, that's number one. Number two, so it's, so first of all, the greatest revelation is that you see him for who he is and you know him. It's unveiled. The next greatest revelation is when you're unveiled to yourself and you see who you are. See, right now, for some of us, there's this like, if you could see it, it's like this filmy glaze over us. And we haven't awoken yet. We haven't broken through that membrane, as it were, of who we are. If you ever see yourself the way God sees you, it will blow your mind. Now, you think about this, okay? When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were like this. God, Adam had no question if there was a God. He could see God for who he is. And that right relationship, there's, there's knowledge of God. But because he was made in the image of God, what else did he see when he looked at God? Himself. Okay? He had knowledge of self. He had understanding of self. Now, what sin does is it does this, and so as and, and trials and things that try to come in the way, what it does, it, 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 the goal is, the enemy's goal is, is to create a distance 
between you and God so that not only do you lose knowledge of God, you lose knowledge of self. You lose, you ever, you ever hear somebody say, I, I feel like I've lost myself. You lose yourself as you begin to see a distance grow between you and God. And it's not just sin. It can be sin, yes, but it can also be hurt, disappointment, prayers unanswered, discouragement, loss of family, whatever it is. And then what happens is, is you don't see yourself. So I believe the greatest hindrance to this is truly when you really see yourself through his eyes. Then, what, then another thing is, is that we stop seeing it as the great suggestion and understand it's the great commission. He didn't suggest that we go share the gospel. He commanded us to. Uh, another thing is, and this is, is going to be a harsh statement, but if I asked everybody, do you believe there's a heaven or hell, I guarantee many people would say, yes, I do. And the next question would be, well, do you believe people will go there if they don't know Jesus? And probably uh, most people would say, yeah, I mean, he is the salvation. So, yeah. And then say, okay, well, so if there is a God, and we believe there's a God, and then we believe there's eternity, right? And there's a heaven and a hell, and we want to go to heaven, and we want everybody to go to heaven. And, and then if you, you believe outside of Jesus, there's no salvation. So, so if they need to know him, right? Yeah, okay, yeah, absolutely. So why aren't we telling them? And then when you really ask yourself that tough question, you go, do I really believe this? Are we, are we like practical atheists in a, like in a weird way? Right? So we say, we blame those atheists. Well, they don't believe God exists. Well, do we? Because if we did, wouldn't we be sharing God with people? Right? I know that's a harsh statement, but the reality is, 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 is the only thing that matters is knowing him and taking people with us when this life is over, right? So I do believe that there's those elements, there's a lot more, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. But I, I think that what we've really got to do, here's the answer, what we really have to do is get alone with God, get alone with God and say, Jesus, open my eyes. Let me see how you see. It got so bad though, I had to help, ask God to help me because I, I couldn't go to uh, theme parks I couldn't go downtown to cities because I literally, when people walking by, I was so consumed with the burden for people because I'm like, all these people need Jesus. Oh, my God, I felt overwhelmed by it. I started having anxiety and couldn't sleep at night. Finally, the Lord showed me. He's all, it's not your job to save people. That's my job. Okay, so watch this. This will really set you free. You ready? You can't save anyone. Look at your neighbor and say, you can't save anyone. You can't save anyone. You don't have the power to do that. You know what Jesus said? He said, some plant, some water, God gives the increase, right? What did he tell Peter? He said, that, he, he said upon this rock, he's talking about himself, the revelation of who he is, upon, upon me, I will build my church. He, you're not supposed to build his church. He builds his church right? It, this whole thing is a God thing. And sometimes what gets in the way is we start trying to make this happen and we got we got all this backwards. We got all this backwards and we're actually getting in God's way. Really what we're supposed to do is not just attend Wednesdays and Sundays and have good church. Really, I mean, we, we want to do that too because that's fellowship and that's unity and that's getting us together. And 
man, this place is powerful. Let me just say, I, I, can, I concur with all the other preachers that have said, this church is special, and I want you to know that I have traveled a, a, a good amount in, 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 since I was 18 years old, and I'm telling you, there is something, especially in this season of 2018 and where we are as a nation, what you feel in here on Sundays, it's not, it's not like that everywhere. It's not like that everywhere, okay? But you're not called to build God's church or just to attend a service. You're called to plant seeds. Plant seeds and, and water them and let God do his thing. If we'll do the proper steps, we can see him step in. He, I think a lot of times he's going, I kind of have a system how this works. <laughs> I kind of laid it all out in my word, okay? I, I want to just pour it out. I wanna, I'm ready to do it, right? And so what does he do? He pours out his spirit in services on Sunday. We feel him. We cry. We intercede. We pray. And then all of a sudden we go back and we go, well, why isn't it happening yet? Why isn't certain things happening yet? Because now it's time to take all that anointing, all that flow, and start planting seeds. Plant, plant them everywhere. Plant them everywhere. What do, you, what do you mean? Talk to everybody. Everybody. Hey, how you doing? You know, I, if you'll—he's been around me, and I, I you know, others will see. I, I'm always putting my feelers out, and one of the best ways is just strike up a conversation. For instance, it's Starbucks. The train went by, and it's really loud. And I know what that's like, because in Lodi, we live by the train, and it does it three times a night. It does it at. 10 o'clock, midnight, and 2. And it's bad. And this lady goes over the train, and I start talking to the ladies, and I'm feeling it out while I'm talking to the ladies about a train and, and, and the big horn. That's it. Something so simple. We're just talking about, and I'm feeling it out. What's, what's, what's going on here? And sometimes it's just a conversation, and maybe it doesn't lead anywhere, but maybe it does. And maybe you just say something to them. And if you'll get busy doing that, and if we'll be doing that all over, Right? You'll, so you'll start to see all the things we hear prophesied and prayed about and, and, and see that happen. And then we'll start to see God work and do his stuff, right? That's the cool stuff, right? Is when he does his stuff. I want to say, too, that uh, as we get involved in, in uh, discipling people and, and trying to encourage new people or reach out to people who are lost, uh, obviously, it's a lifestyle. It's something that gets, just gets a hold of you, and uh, you're, you're not re really thinking, okay, I'm going to do this now. It just becomes who you are. Um, but the question I wanted to throw out at you is, obviously, we have to learn some things along the way, but I think uh, maybe we get in our way or we're clumsy sometimes and maybe make some unnecessary mistakes without risking the danger of making us paranoid. What are some of the big mistakes that people make perhaps when they're trying to reach people, trying to reach family members, trying to, uh, so, so, we, as, so as we reach out for our loved ones, uh, we can be more effective just by avoiding some obvious mistakes that maybe aren't as obvious to us. I want to address that, but also address something that happened with Pastor today. Probably doesn't want me to say this or whatever, but Pastor and his wife were just out, you know, out and about talking with somebody, and they asked, well, what do you do? And he said, well, I'm a pastor. And then what did the lady say? said something about like we've been looking for a church they said we moved here from my husband and i moved here from texas two years ago and we haven't found a church we, we just watched the church it's that simple folks see we build it up in our head it's so complicated you are we're not talking about 
like going through a, a theological study with him. We're, we're not saying, okay, here's the three points of the six points you have to make, and I think we build it up in our head. We just talk. And Jesus always has a way of showing up when you talk about him. I've been in a bookstore one time, and I was talking to this lady, uh, these two people, and I'm just sitting there studying because I was going to speak that night in uh, Corcoran, California. And we're just talking. And as I'm talking, she starts to feel something. And I didn't even say much. I just said, you know, you know what's amazing about Jesus is, is, is you know, he, he does this and he does that. And I, it's interesting. I promise you, I dare you this week to talk about Jesus. And all of a sudden, it's like that song, which, by the way, I get must be five to six years behind the times. But the song, when, when he walks into the room, when you walk into the room talking about Jesus, you guys sang it on Sunday, about killed me, slayed me, I had no more left in me, I wanted to lay on the floor and weep for four hours. Literally, I, I jokingly, because I joke a lot, I looked over at Pastor and I said, you know, looks like, looked like Jesus walked in the room, <laughs> like that. But literally, I felt like Jesus walked in the room. When you talk about Jesus, guess what happens? He shows up. You don't have to have some big, huge study and... You've got to know how to break down the Bible in the Greek and Hebrew. You just say, you know, as you're talking. And, and, and uh, interestingly enough, you could talk about sports, and it'll come to Jesus. You could talk about politics, and it'll come to Jesus. You'll talk about it, it comes back to Jesus. And so be open to that, that sensitivity, that element. Now, a couple of the things, the, the things that we bump into, sometimes, as I did, we're so desperate to see people experience Jesus. It's like the principle I told the team the other night. And I'll tell this story again and again until it just registered. So I had eaten Taco Bell one particular night. I had a Mexican pizza. I, I know, it's a total different segue, huh? Um, pizza, Mexican melt, burrito, and like a code red. This was years ago. And I was actually with Pastor Brown when this happened back when the church was over on Rosemead. And so, you know, Taco Bell can always, it's so deceptive. You see the signs, you see the commercial. Just so good, looks so delicious. And then, you know, you eat it. And then for 24 hours, you wish you didn't. And then, you know, you spend some time in the latrine. I'll use that French word. Um, and so anyways, I'm not feeling good. And my friend Justin calls me and says, hey, I'm over at Houston Steakhouse. Come over here and hang out. I'm all, dude, I feel sick. I do not want to eat anything. He said, well, just come chill. So he's there. And I walk in and sit down. And he's got this delicious-looking steak on, the top, on, on top of a pineapple. And, of course, I'm not even interested. And he says, dude, you've got to try this. And I said, man, if, you, if I see any more food, I'm going to throw up right here. He said, trust me. He takes a thin slice, dips it in this au jus sauce, and he hands it to me. And as soon as it went in my mouth, all of a sudden, all I heard, he starts talking. But I can't hear him anymore. It sounds like, all, I, all I'm thinking of, oh, my God, that's the most delicious piece of food I've ever had in my mouth. And he's like, boom, boom, boom. I can't hear a word he's saying. I'm looking at the steak. I'm like, I hope he offers me another piece. And he goes and he cuts another thin slice. He says, you want another one? He could tell, right? And I was like, nah, you know, I'm okay. And he's like, no, you want another one? I'm like, okay, okay, whatever. I take another piece. Again, he starts to talk. I can't understand a word he's saying. And then he finally says, man, I'm not going to finish this. Do you want the rest? And I killed the whole steak. Now, the reason it happened was because he gave me thin slices. I don't care how delicious the steak is. If I take a steak and I shove the whole thing in your mouth, guess what? You're going to get sick. You're not going to want it. If you give a thin slice, dip it in some 
delicious au jus sauce with a little pineapple. I know some of you already are salivating. You're hungry right now. You wish you were at, at Houston's having a thin slice of that delicious marinated steak. I promise you it's the same way with the gospel. I have been criticized. Trust me, in doing this, you think, oh, no, well, you won't be criticized. You're sharing the gospel. I've been criticized mostly from Christians to say, well, how come you didn't go through John 3 and Acts 2.38 the first time you met that person? And then I sit there and I think to myself, and I actually have, because I can be a little cantankerous at times. I mean, you know, I'm not so filled with Jesus yet that I have the best attitude at times. And I took it and took it and took it, you know, and then finally I just said to this person, I said, well, and if it's working for you, where's, where's the results? And so sometimes people aren't ready for the whole steak. And we think we got to give them the whole steak. And I was trying to give people the whole steak for years, and it didn't happen. And realizing that maybe just a little bit, I'll give it a little bit in that life study on Monday. And then maybe they'll come back and want a little bit more. But I, I wonder if, if we make, if we can somehow present Jesus in such a way that it's appetizing and, it, and it's, it's dipped in some glorious spiritual au jus sauce that they, want, they think to themselves, man, i got to have more of that. Well, when do we meet again? I can't tell you how many times I'm teaching people, texting me in the middle of the week, hey, we still having that study coming up? I haven't said a word. Okay? And so what I had to learn was to trust the Spirit of God. We say we trust the Spirit of God, and we don't because what we're trying to do is we're trying to make it happen. And we can manipulate, and we can control, and we can kind of overdo it and overkill it and shove the whole stake instead of give a little bit. And the next thing you know, they want more. And the next thing you know, they want more. And it's them wanting more, not you. And then it's them having a connection with Jesus. And guess what? A person having that from their heart between them and God, that's the real thing. It's not you. Because when they have it and they realize, hey, wait a minute, I'm sitting in this Bible study. There's no music. There's no nothing. This guy's just teaching. And I just felt something. What was that? I'm not screaming nothing, just I felt something. This week, I can tell you, as I was teaching several life studies, I could sense that people felt something. I knew that God touched them. But I didn't. I let it go. And when I say that to people, they go, I could tell in their spirit, like, let it go. My goodness, you should have just slapped hands on them right there. No. Jesus is a gentleman. Lo lo love, love doesn't operate that way. You don't, let, you don't tackle somebody that, you know, you barely know them. You're like, I love you. You know what I mean? It's a little bit. You go on a date, you know, and of course I can't talk because I don't have a wife, so I clearly don't know what I'm doing. But Rich, Rich Brown knows what he's doing. And I guarantee you it, didn't, it wasn't day one, I love you, marry you, let's have three kids. It was a card or it was, a, it was let's go get some coffee or whatever. It was stages. Here's the other thing, and I'll say this. I don't know what time it is. How much more time do we have? I, I don't want to go too long. Okay, so watch this. Here's what's amazing. We do it in our natural life with, our, with, with children, and we don't practice the same with people in a spiritual sense that are like infants. So watch this. You have a baby, right? And it's now beginning to walk. First time. How many of you guys remember when your child walked for the first time? Maybe? 
How many steps did your baby take the first time? Right? When the baby fell, did you go, oh, out, out, get out, get out. You got two feet, you don't know how to walk? What's, what's wrong with you? Did you do that? Or what about when the baby first began to eat certain kind of food and then it spit it out? Did you go, oh, forget it, I'm not feeding you ever again. Or, or, or maybe it pooped its diapers to a certain age and, and then all of a sudden, at a time when you thought maybe they learned how to use the little potty thing, they did it and they pooped in their diaper or pooped somewhere. Did you go, out of the house, I'm done with you, that's it. I showed you how to do it. I put you on that little toilet there and you didn't. Is that what happened? That kind of attitude and mentality, guess what? That's an unhealthy, abusive, miserable family existence. If that's the kind of parent, I, 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 I'm so glad that's not the way my parents were. Because I don't really think any parent's that way. To be honest, most parents are not that way. But, but, no, but this, this is the way it really happens, right? Dad's like, all of a sudden, come on, come on, son. Mom's in the kitchen cooking. All of a sudden... Stands up, takes two steps. Oh, my God, honey, get over here. Get over here real quick. Oh, I fell. Oh, he fell. Come on, get up. Boom. Look at baby. He's getting so excited with just two steps. And all of a sudden, we're dealing with people that don't know God, been through tons of stuff, drug addiction, abusive family, all the kind of things. We don't even know what they're going through. And all of a sudden, well, they're not doing exactly the way it happened with me. Oh, my goodness. Well, let me go tell them a piece of my mind. My goodness. So we have to learn this concept of wins. What are the wins? Well, how about when somebody starts to actually believe the Bible is God's word? That's like what? The little baby taking the steps. What should we be doing? What should our attitude be? What should our emotion be? It should be like, oh, my God, this is incredible. If you begin to just see this concept and flip everything around, you're going to have like a permanent party hat on your spiritual head going, blowing that little thing, just so excited about winning and talking to people because you're going to notice every step of progress. Right? So one of, listen, here's the deal. The, one of the biggest wins for me was when I'm teaching this young uh, guy in Australia, or this whole group, and he said, I came in here an atheist today. He said, but after I heard what I heard tonight, I can't be an atheist anymore. Now, some Christians I know would have been like, well, what else are you supposed to do? You know what? I got three more steps for you that you don't need to do before this, before I even rejoice and get happy about it. I was like in my spirit, I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. He believes in God. Right? And so watch this. Psalms, David said this. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Watch this. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Ready? Watch what the next part says. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. No joy, no salvation. People don't want to be around people that are like this all the time. Right? So I want you to see everyone that you're working with like a little baby. And if they say, I believe the Bible's God's word, you need to start just, man, have a party. I mean, maybe not there because it may freak them out, but man, on your way home, just be, oh my God, right? And when they repent, when they say, man, I want to change my life. I want to give my life to God. I'm tired of the way I'm living. 
instead of looking at all the things they're not doing, look at what's happening. And when you start to learn that, have that mentality, you're gonna, you'll become addicted to reaching people. I mean, it's, it's just constant joy. I mean, I can't tell you, my highlight of my, my, highlight of my week is are all the people I get to go teach that, that are, I don't know where they're at on their journey. I don't know where. But, I, but, but the, that's a beautiful thing. I don't want to know. I just want to see God do what he's going to do and then rejoice to see the progress. And maybe they get baptized. Oh, my goodness, I can't tell you how many. I, I got some crazy stories about baptisms, man. Awesome, awesome stories. And, and to see people at 2 in the morning, uh, whatever time, uh, getting baptized in the ocean, in swimming pools, in, in, in a church, uh, that's an incredible step. And then when God fills him with his spirit, but I'm still rejoicing the whole, I've been rejoicing since the first time the guy said he believes in God. I didn't just start rejoicing when they were baptized, right? And just with your baby, you don't treat a baby that way. Don't treat people that way, right? And so that's, that's I, and, and patience, 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 patience. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not easily provoked. Right? And sometimes as Pentecostals, we see where we're at, and we want everybody to be exactly where we're at day one. No, 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 no. And so it's important for us to enjoy the journey, people. Enjoy the journey. Rejoice in the wins. The wins, the small wins. Okay. Well... I'm, you know, I, how many of you, let's, let's, uh, let's stand, let's stand, let's stand. How many, how many of you feel like maybe you saw something tonight or heard something tonight that was fresh for you, was new for you? And you know what? I'm, I'm going to challenge you. This is a different kind of service. You know what this service is? This is like commission time. It's, it's, it's now let's go and do. Let's go and do. We, 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 we've been praying, we've been worshiping. God's spirit is with us. We have, the word of the Lord's been going forth like crazy in this church, right? So we know God's with us. And so tonight, I want us to begin to, just for a moment, let's close our eyes. Just for a moment, let's close our eyes. And I want you to, I want you, let's see if you can see, sometimes to see through the eyes of faith can be a little tough. But I want you to imagine that person that you, that you see that needs God. I want you to imagine seeing them experiencing the power of God. The God maybe, maybe see them in a house in a Bible study. I don't know. Whatever stage. Maybe, maybe see them opening the Bible. See that through the eye of faith. Okay? Do you got it? You can open your eyes now. Do you got that? You saw that? Okay? And, 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 I, and that's what I do. Many times I just, I, I, I'm seeing those things happen. And we begin to open our eyes of faith and begin to see and believe and rejoice and what God's going to do. And so this week, I want us to practice. I want us to practice saying, God, you've given us prophecies. Lord, you've given us a word. God, we have your spirit and anointing. The shadow's been lifted. All the various things that have been said. Now, God, I'm believing that whoever, I'm going to talk to people this week, and you're going to open doors, and we're going to see some incredible things happen. How many of you are going to believe that with me right now? Amen? Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I want you to take someone by the hand. We're going to close this in prayer. <clears throat> and if, and maybe the, yeah, just join someone by the hand. Amen.
Amen. Are you ready? I want you to be pumped. You, you need to be pumped, right? You got to be pumped because God's with you. He's going to do the work. And as you feel it, just begin to lift your voice. Just begin to let your heart pray. Amen. Amen. In the name of Jesus, some plants, some water, but God gives the increase. Lord, we thank you. Even right now, what you're going to do, Lord Jesus, this week. God, we thank you, Lord, for the words that you've been giving us. God, we thank you. We thank you, dear God. We believe that you're going to open doors, Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for the family members that are going to hear the gospel this week. Lord, we thank you for the co-workers, God. They're going to open their hearts to the gospel this week. In Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. That's it. That's it. Amen. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Here's what I want you to do. I want you to find a couple people, and I want you to encourage them and tell them this week God's going to use you greatly. Just go ahead, just find a couple and say, God's going to do something great through you this week. Amen.